It's day 15 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Welcome back, friends. Happy Monday if you're with us in real time. Today, we are finishing the book of Job. Everybody shouted a big hallelujah. And we will start out with God directing his attention back at Job, where he will continue to correct his previous speeches while putting him in his proper place of humility. But after the rebuke, of course, comes a beautiful redemption in the end. So we're excited for that. And speaking of humility, I did want to make an apology for anybody whose name is Lucy. It was a bad judgment on my part to call Lucifer Lucy to shorten his name like that not thinking of the offense that it might bring upon people who are named that or the hurt that it might bring. So please forgive me for that. I'm very sorry if I hurt your heart or if I offended you in any way. Definitely don't want to do that. And we will not call him Lucy. He does not even deserve a beautiful and sweet name like that. Otherwise, let's go ahead and pray and get into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for new beginnings. Thank you for new mercies that are available to us today. We're so grateful that we have breath in our lungs. We're so grateful for the purpose that has been set upon our lives, for being called to your greater purpose. Thank you for that, Lord. We are honored to be able to be in your presence today, to be able to soak in your word. And I just pray that you will nourish us, that you will refresh us today. I pray that if there are any anxieties, worries, hurts, anything at all that is hindering us from being able to fully receive your word, I just pray that we'll lay it down right now at your feet. Forgive us where we have hurt people. Forgive us, Lord, where we have come against anyone, whether it was purposely or not. Forgive us, Lord, where we have hurt your heart. And I pray that if we are not even aware of the things that we have done, that you will point them out to us. Help us also to forgive others, Lord, for we know that if we're going to receive your forgiveness, then we also need to be generous in the forgiveness that we give to others. So I pray that you will speak and give us everything that we need to hear today, open up our ears and our eyes and our hearts to be able to have that healthy soil so that your seeds will be planted and that they will be cultivated and nourished and that they will bear much fruit. Please keep us on the right road today, Lord. Don't let us get distracted. Don't let us make any wrong turns. Keep the evil one far from us, Lord. And may we be tuned into your frequency so that we do not listen to him and where he wants us to go. We love you so much and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else need extra coffee on Mondays? That is me today. We are starting here in Job chapter 40. As the Lord continues to speak to Job, and the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let's stop here on this word contend. This means, this is legal jargon, to bring lawsuit. And so he is reversing what was said in chapter 10, where Job was claiming that God was bringing a suit against him. He who argues with God, let him answer it. So he's like, are you trying to teach me, Job? Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. I am unworthy, he is saying. I'm an insignificant. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. So clearly he is humbled here. He is ashamed. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. So he has a true awareness of God's presence. And anytime we have that awareness of God's presence, it will bring us to our knees. It will bring us to a place of just silence. Like everything that we said before, Lord, it is out the window. I am so sorry. So clearly his tune is changing from demanding time with God and demanding the ability to present his trial before him to a place of humility and reverence. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, so out of the eye of the storm and said, dress for action like a man. So he's like, get up, 
Pull up your big boy pants and let's go. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? So in what ways had Job condemned God? Well, particularly in chapter 24, Job was citing all of the injustice and all of the lack of social order without consequence that he saw in the world. And as his friends assumed that Job's suffering could be credited to God's punishment for sin, Job essentially had to condemn God in order to uphold his own innocence. And also through Job's questioning of what God was doing, the assumption is that he felt God was wrong for allowing him to go through that pain. So heart check. Have you ever felt that God was wrong in something that He did or allowed to happen? And we will sometimes do this to other people. I mean, we will condemn others to make ourselves feel good. Have you an arm like God? And anytime the arm of God or the hand of God is in the Bible, that typically refers to His strength and power. And can you thunder with a voice like His? So this is a reminder of the distance that there is between us and God. Like it is a vast difference. Adorn yourself with the majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. So in a sense, he's saying, go ahead and put the crown on for a day, Job. You go ahead and try to be king of the universe here. See what happens. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, he eats grass like an ox. Whoa, who is this behemoth? Well, his name translates to great beast. And while behemoth's identity is disputed, the suggestions for this particular animal was either an elephant at one time. Some say it was a dinosaur. Some say it's a hippo or a mythical creature. And really, in the end, it becomes a symbol of chaos and something that is unable to be restrained. Behold, his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. This is where those who say that is not a hippo, that is not an elephant because his tail is not stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. So just showing here his massive strength. He is the first of the works of God. And that's where some people say must be a dinosaur. Let him who made him bring near his sword. So God is declaring that he made him. He still controls him, even though he is one of the most magnificent creatures of all time. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants, he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade, the lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brook surround him. So we see God's provision, his protection, his comfort, even over the wild beasts. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eye? or pierce his nose with a snare. So this reference to taking him by his eyes, it also says in some translations, can some take him in his sight? So there are two different ways of looking at this, either looking at the fact that his eyes are above water. So can one take him by his eyes that are above water like a hippopotamus or translating it, take him in his sight could be referring to like someone who is trying to shoot him. You have to have that sight first before you can shoot this animal. So referring to the ability to take it down. And both of those references would be 
pointing to the fact that you basically cannot control this animal. You cannot domesticate it. And so God is saying, if you can't even contend with this wild beast, what makes you think that you can contend with me as his maker? So wrapping this all up once again, God is challenging Job to take on his job for a day. And this only leaves Job to realize that he is completely inadequate and unable to come even close to what God can do. He's basically been disqualified. So when you think about your own abilities, do you feel it qualifies you to be in a place of judgment or knowing what is best? Or do you, like Job, feel disqualified? Chapter 41. Now we're going to hear about Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Who's Leviathan? We've heard of him before. Well, let's take a look here. His name literally means twisting one. And he is believed to, at some point, have been a crocodile, perhaps the blue whale, or some sort of water dinosaur. Now, I do want to use this moment as a reminder to you that if I have something written in my notes, or if I mention it, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is my point of view. All of the notes that I take here in my Bible are not just revelations or interpretations of my own. These are things that are taken from scholarly sources, and I do have them listed in the description box or the show notes if anybody wants to take a look. If you ever wonder, where in the world did she get that? Those are the places where I am looking. Also, if I do mention something like the gap theory, that doesn't necessarily mean that I am in agreement with it. It just means that it is something worth discussing. And so I wanted to just say that because sometimes people think that I am giving a point of view, whereas I am just simply bringing up points of discussion because this is a Bible study and we're students and that's what students do. And I also have written here other references to Leviathan in the Bible if you want to do a deeper dive on who this creature is, but we're just going to take it at face value that it is indeed some sort of sea creature. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook like a prisoner of war, because you will see other references in the Bible of piercing the jaw with a hook in reference to those prisoners. Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you like a peace treaty to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or like a pet? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Or in other words, you will regret if you try to contend with this beast. So you are basically powerless against him. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So God is saying, I made Leviathan. None can even stand against him, and therefore none can stand against me. And God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe anybody even in their righteousness. And now he goes on to illustrate the body features of Leviathan. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of the mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. 
Out of his nostrils come forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood, so there are no human weapons that is able to subdue him. The arrow cannot make him flee, for him slinging stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth, there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. So in the end here, God is declaring his power and authority over even the greatest and most ferocious beast that mankind has ever known. And it is easy for us as bystanders to read this and be God's cheerleader. Like, yeah, as we wholeheartedly agree with him that he is indeed in control over all things, including all evil until we are the ones in the ring with the evil. And why is that? Why are we able to trust God's sovereignty and His power for everyone else, but not for ourselves? Well, let's see where that leads Job here in chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And I love this so much. I love that Job didn't try to make any excuses for himself. He simply said, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. This is the most powerful thing that we can do whenever we do something wrong, and it will quickly diffuse an escalating situation quickly. That's why I apologize whenever I hurt somebody. But it also takes a lot of humility and self-control, especially if the other person is going to continue to press the matter. So heart check. How easy is it for you to practice simple confession? Are you able to apologize quickly? I recommend trying it sometime and see if it changes the way things go down or the dynamic of your typical arguments. So here in verse four, he is quoting what God said to him, here and I will speak, I will question you and you make it known to me. And here he continues, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So it's pretty incredible up to this point that Job has been defending his innocence and his integrity and his righteousness despite knowing God. But now that he's actually face to face with him, it brings him to this place of humility like he has never known. So heart check. Have you ever encountered God in such a way that brings your entire spirit into the dust and ashes? Verse seven, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So there it is, God saying that Job passed the test and they did not. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with 
with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. I find it interesting that God tells Job how to intercede for his friends. I mean, I am sure that even if he knew what was right, the last thing that he wanted to do is beg God not to punish his friends. So perhaps that's why God needed to give him a little bit of direction. But this right here is God's heart beating right out of his chest where we are able to see the power of intercession. God hears our prayers for other people. And it doesn't mean that he will answer them the way that we think he should, but why not die trying? So heart check, how often do you intercede for others? And do you truly believe that God hears your prayers for them? Verse 10, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, it's important to note here that Israelite law actually required a thief to pay back double. Now, we know that God is not a thief, and that is not what I'm saying here, but it is kind of ironic, right? And this displays God's incredible mercy that he would give double back to Job. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and they comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. So this is kind of like them bringing a whole bunch of housewarming gifts to him. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Kirin Hapuk. And in all the land, there were no women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. This term full of days means he died satisfied and happy. And this reminded me of Jesus's command to love those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And also, if those people are not worthy of that blessing, it will then return back to you. I mean, look what happened to Job. Not only was everything restored, but doubled. I have lived by this. I can attest to it that God will return that blessing as long as you meant it and that person doesn't deserve it. Because something shifts within us when we are bestowers of blessings rather than cursing. So you will receive more in return because your heart will start to change. You will become a better person. And I also realize that a lot of people will still be left with, that's it, I want more revenge than that. But we have got to trust the source. That's what this whole book is about, trusting God because he is greater. And the Bible says that Job died full of days. He died a happy man. He got his happy ending. So don't stay stuck in the middle of the story because that is where the enemy wants to keep you so that you will doubt God's goodness. But look at all of the amazing things that came out of this. I mean, Satan lost the battle. He was shut up, literally. He may have been able to borrow Job for a moment, but Job didn't belong to him. 
Just the same way that Jesus bought us back. We are not for hire. He does not have control over us anymore. So if we can stay in that place of trust and worship instead of testing and worrying, then we too will shut Satan down without even knowing it because he's up there trying to accuse us or threaten God that if God will just make us sick or destroy our marriage, then we will curse him. So don't let him win that trial. Keep worshiping, keep trusting. And if you don't think this was enough, remember that Job was face to face with God, the great I am. God didn't need to say anything more or do anything more because he was every answer and every need that Job had. So if Job wasn't seeking anything more in the end, why should we? But nevertheless, Job was vindicated. And there's no sweeter feeling than when God steps in for you, because if you seek vengeance and you get it, you're still going to be left with the guilt of whatever action you took. But when God does it, your hands are clean. And he even says, vengeance is mine. So let God do the work. Not only that, but Job had more clarity. He had more confidence, more compassion, more humility. He essentially in the end was more godly and more blessed. So who wouldn't want that? I can only imagine what his true reward is in heaven because not only was he restored, but he has touched the lives of millions of people. Remember how he was hoping that his story could be written in a book one day? Well, it is. This redemption story that is so sweet, that restores our faith in the goodness of God. And now taking a look at some of our deep dive questions, how can we reconcile our own inability to understand what God is allowing to happen and God's sovereignty and goodness? And would responding in question be an effective response for us today? How would you explain God's sovereignty and omnipotence, meaning His unlimited power, to one who is new in the faith? Are you able to leave vindication to God and fully trust in His promise to restore? And how does Job's journey impact your faith? So Heavenly Father, we just thank You and praise You for You are the God of glorious endings. But You are also the God who was there before any of us ever were. And You remain with us in the middle all the way until the end. Thank you for being the same God who held Job in your hands when the enemy tried to do him in. And thank you for not allowing him to be defeated. You knew that he could handle it. And because so, his life would be a testament to your faithfulness to take what the enemy meant for evil and to turn it for good. I thank you that even when he desires to steal, kill, and destroy, you have already won that war and he will not get what he wants. Our minds are still blown as to how great you really are. But according to what we can comprehend, it brings us to our knees in humility. We recognize your power over every living thing, great and small, and we recognize your rule over the spiritual arena and even where battles wage in our minds. Forgive us, Lord, where we have tried to assert control over any situation or power in our lives. Help us always to surrender to you and to trust that you are at the reins. We know that nothing and no one can stand against you and that you can do all things. Thank you that there is nothing that anyone can do, nothing that we can do to thwart your purpose. Sometimes we think that we've messed up our lives so badly, but we aren't even powerful enough to do that. 
Thank you for giving us second chances to repent whenever we have been ignorant or even when we have blatantly walked into sin. We are so grateful for your correction and for your willingness to hear our prayers as we cry out in desperation. Thank you for hearing our prayers when we intercede for others and help us to be mindful of those that we can be praying for. I pray that we will grow into even greater prayer warriors. Teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us what to say. Until then, we will simply come to you in simplicity. And we thank you for giving us hope that our latter days will be better than our former ones. What a glorious hope we get to look forward to. We love you so much and thank you for this day and this time and this word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.